when we serve in For Columbia, it's a way to help people who are in need, but there's almost more to it than that. You see, one of the things we've always wanted to do as a church is change the way our community thinks about Christians, thinks about the church, and hopefully eventually change the way they think about Jesus. And so we want to be people who proclaim the truth, but who also live the truth out in our life. And Fort Columbia allows us to do that, allows us to join with churches throughout the city. It allows us to, to, to be out in the community so that we're doing things like paying off medical debt or utility debt, but we're also coming alongside people in our community who have needs. So if there's any way that you can serve that day, it's about helping people, but it's also uh, about, well, changing the way people think about Jesus and telling people that we are for our city and for those who are hurting and in need. So forcolumbia.com is where you sign up. My mom came in town for the Mother's Day weekend. It's the first time because of COVID that we had seen her in well over a year, about 18 months. But given that she and all of us and our family were vaccinated, she was able to come in and felt comfortable doing that. And my wife, Christine, she noticed that our deck chairs outside had some holes in them. And so she, she said, we need to get some new chairs before your mom comes. So she went to the hardware store, bought uh, six chairs, three boxes, two chairs in each box. The, those boxes sat in the garage as long as I could let them sit there because I, I didn't want to put them together. But then a Friday night came and we decided we better do it. It was close to my mom's arrival. And so we took the box out on the deck and we opened it up. And as soon as we opened it up, I thought, we're in trouble. Uh, there's way too many pieces in this box. But it didn't say anything because my wife is much better at this stuff than I am. So she reached in and pulled out the directions. And I heard her say, this is it? <laughs> and then I didn't think we were in trouble. I knew we were in trouble. And I began to have flashbacks, like Vietnam flashbacks to putting up Christmas trees when our kids were young. Because I thought artificial trees were for losers, for people who kind of quit early. Turns out they're very smart people. That's who they're for. So I remember putting my hand, I'm thinking about this, standing on the deck, I'm putting my hand in all the pine needles and the sap all over you. And my wife going, no, it's not perfectly straight. And I'm like, oh, it's close enough. And I, I remember the last time when we finally gave up, we just literally took a rope and tied it from a banister to the tree. And that's how we got it set up. So all that's in my mind as we're standing there on the deck. And it took, uh, it took us about an hour a chair. And so about six hours, a bottle of Chardonnay and a bag of Ruffles later, we accomplished our our, our mission. And through the whole thing, Christine kept saying, shouldn't this be easier? Shouldn't these directions be easier to follow? And, and I think that a lot about our life, that, that the directions that come with our life feel like they should be easier to follow. It feels like it shouldn't be this hard to figure out what we are supposed to do. It's the question we're going to try to answer today is, is this. How, how do you find God's will for your life? How do you find the directions for how to live your life? The life God wants you to live. You know, there are about three different ways I can think of that you could think about God's will in your life. 
And one of them is to think of God's sovereign will. Just God being in charge of all things. That's his sovereign will. That everything that happens, happens according to God's will. And when I say that, all I'm essentially doing is repeating what, what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, In him also we've received an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him. Now, now here's the part that we need to pay attention to today. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Who works good things? Yeah, well, good things, all things. Bad things? Well, all things. Big things? Well, it says all things. Small things? All things. According to the counsel of his will. I think it's the point that Jesus was making in his own way, different than Paul, in Matthew 10, when Jesus says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Now, a sparrow was a very common and insignificant bird, you know, just everywhere around uh, in, in that place. Not one of them, not one of those small, insignificant sparrows falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. Nothing happens apart from God's will. Nothing big or small, good or bad, all things are a part of his will. That's what the, the, the people who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism in the 1500s were getting at in this question and answer to the Catechism. I, I think it's really beautifully written. What do you understand by the providence of God or God's sovereign will? Well, the answer is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, there's that phrase again, all things in fact come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Nothing comes to us by chance. And, and that, of course, is good news that our life is not ruled by chance or fate or circumstances or luck, but instead everything that comes into our life comes from a God who loves us. And so how do we respond to God's sovereign will? Well, we respond by trusting it. But not, not by understanding, because of course there's a lot we don't understand about God's will and the way it works in our life or in the world, but we trust in God's sovereign will. Remember I said there's three ways to think about God's will, and so if one of his sovereign will, the other is his will of desire. This is just what God wants. The will of God's desire, what he wants for your life. Maybe you or someone you know have said, if I just knew God's will, then I'd do it. I don't know it, but if I knew it, man, I'm all in. If I just knew it was God's will. Well, this is a little bit of a test to see if we really meant that. Because the Bible tells us God's will. His will of desire. First Thessalonians chapter 4, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Now the passage goes on and talks more about the holiness, so it's not as if being holy, it can be reduced to staying away from sexual sin. Not at all. It's part of it, but not all of it. 
But here the focus is God's will is for you to be holy. And holiness doesn't depend on your vocation, right? You can be a holy doctor and a holy school teacher. It doesn't depend on your location. You can be holy in Missouri and you can pursue holiness in Mississippi. It doesn't depend on your family status. You can pursue holiness single or married with or without kids. But to pursue holiness means that we would become more like Jesus. Or like Ricky prayed, more in the image of God. That's what our life would reflect. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us more about God's will. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I want to know the will of God for my life. Okay, be holy. Pursue your joy in Christ. Be thankful regardless of the circumstances. Be a person of prayer. That's God's will. So if we respond to God's sovereign will by trusting it, well, we respond to to God's will of desire by, by doing it. We call it obedience. That brings us to the third way we can think about God's will. And it's God's specific will. Maybe you say, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to grow in holiness. I get that God's will encompasses all things and he wants me to become more like Jesus. But, but I was kind of thinking that if we were looking for God's directions on how to put our life together, what we'd be looking for is God's specific will for me personally. Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This verse tells us a powerful truth that God is the one who has planned all our days, ordained all our days before we were ever born, before time began. God in his sovereign will had planned all the days of our life. Uh, if you're like me, you go, well, if God has such a wonderful plan for my life, why hasn't he bothered to share it with me? Because I, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow it if he doesn't tell me what it is. Because we face choices, all kinds of choices, big choices, small choices, some more important than others, but our life is all about choices. Should we adopt a child? Should we move to take that new job? But what does that move mean for maybe your spouse's job or your kid's school or friends? Do we keep renting or is it time to buy? Should we pursue that that aggressive form of, of cancer treatment even though it comes with all those horrible side effects? Should I major in marketing or microbiology? This summer, would we be better off taking a vacation in the mountains or at the beach? Should I invest my money in stock market or Bitcoin? On this relationship, should I swipe right or left? Life is a series of choices. Some big, some small. So no wonder Carrie Underwood sings that she wants Jesus to take the wheel of her life, right? Yeah, I want Jesus to take the wheel of my life too because I don't have the map. I don't know where we're going. I don't know where to turn. Or if we change the metaphor, it's like being in the corn maze. 
and you just come up with a maze and you come to choices, you don't know which way to go, always go the opposite way I do. I always choose wrong. And in the court maze, you choose wrong and you hit a dead end and you waste some time. But in life, when you choose wrong, well, dead ends can be really painful and loss of time that you don't have that much of. We're in this uh, sermon series. Eight, eight bad ideas that good Christians believe. And, and here's the bad idea we're going to look at today. The bad idea that we're going to look at today is that God has a plan for your life and you must find it. You must figure it out and then follow it. See, see I don't know what you'll think of this, but I didn't know if it was God's will for me to get married or be single. I didn't know if it was God's will for me to get married to Christine or someone else. And she'd say the same thing. I didn't know it was God's will for us to have kids or not have kids or how many kids to have. When, when we came back to join with others to, to start the crossing, I didn't know. Is that God's will? I don't know. I, I've never been too confident that I knew God's will about any specific decisions sitting in front of me. And because we want to know God's will, but because we don't feel like we know his specific plan for our life, we do all kinds of crazy things to try to figure it out. You know, like people, they, they, they have the magic eight ball, right? You've seen this before, right? And you ask the eight ball a question and you turn it over and it gives its answer. Now, a little hint if you do this is that almost all of the answers are positive. So you can frame your question the right way. You'll get the answer that you want to get. We treat, I think we as Christians sometimes treat the Bible like it is a magic eight ball. And so we ask it questions, and then we open our Bible and read a verse and think that's the answer to the question that we just asked. So if we ask a question in the Bible and then turn and open our Bible, and we happen to hit 2 Samuel 7.3, it says, Go do all the things in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So does that mean that I get to do whatever I want? Is that what that verse is telling me? Or maybe you've heard the, I hope, fictional story about the guy who wanted to know what to do with his life. So he asked God and opened the Bible, but he turned his Bible to Matthew chapter 27. Then he went away and hanged himself. <laughs> fictional, fictional, bad idea. But when, when Christine and I were talking with Dave and Jeanette and others about coming back to, to start the crossing, we were in Chicago at the time. And a, a guy who we used to, because we'd lived here before, and I guess, so a guy who lived here and knew us, but not real well, he calls me, and I, I have no idea how he got my number. He just calls me and kind of reintroduces himself, like, yeah, I, I remember you. And he was part of another church, and he was a little unsure about us, uh, you know, joining with his team to start the crossing. How are you going to explain this to people in Columbia? He wasn't being rude. He was just asking genuine questions. But then he said, he goes, but I know you got your verse. I know you got your verse. You see, what he meant was, I know that there's some verse in the Bible that has told you to do that. I didn't have the heart to tell him that I was pretty sure that I didn't have a verse. But I was pretty sure that God didn't really work that way. See, if, 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 if God has a plan for our life, then why is it so hard to find it? Why does he keep hiding it from us? 
It's like when you play hide and seek with your kids when they're young and you've always got a better hiding place than them and for a while you just lay there quietly because you have a little peace while they look for you. (laughs) But eventually, maybe it was just me, but eventually you give them hints, right? You want to be found. But maybe God doesn't even give hints. Or, or, Or does he? Or does he? Because remember, we saw that God's will was for us to be holy. He did more than hints. He just told us. God's will is for us to become like Jesus. You go, yeah, but that's not what I want. I want to know God's will for my future. And then, can I just ask, if that's the case, is it just a little bit weird that we get bored with what God tells us plainly, but we become obsessed with what he hasn't told us? Is it just a little bit weird that we say we want to do God's will, but then when he shows it to us, eh, we're not that excited about it. We ignore it. What's really behind that desire to know God's will for our specific life, how our future is going to plan out, what decisions we should make? I, I think behind it is this desire to be happy. We have in our head that if I can just figure out God's will, that will give me the happiest life. I don't want it. I don't know how to get it, but that is what I want. And in a world of endless choices, it's hard to make a a decision. I mean, think of all the channels that you can watch, all the books that you can read, all the the, uh, people in the online dating world. I mean, is there another one? If I just keep going through, will I find a, a better one? What do you want to do with your life? That's a fun question to ask a little kid because it's kind of a, usually a humorous answer. But ask somebody who's graduated from high school or college, what do you want to do with your life? It's not so fun anymore. I, I don't know. It's part of this paradox of choice where, where, where we think that more choices will make us happier. And to some extent it does, but a lot of choices can also cause confusion and anxiety. And they did this little study where they, where they had uh, six pieces of chocolate, all of them different, six of them, and they offered, and people could choose whichever one they wanted. And then they offered other people 30 pieces of chocolate, all different. And they asked, how happy are you with your decision? And the people who had chosen out of the six were much happier than the people who had chosen out of the 30. You wouldn't think that, would you? I mean, if you had 30 options, surely you could find what you wanted. But the more options you have, it seems like the more buyer's remorse that you have. The more you think, well, I could have picked something better. You know, it's like, it's just hard to make a decision sometimes. In his book, Just Do Something, Kevin DeYoung points out that, that the, the word decide, well, it literally means to cut off. And when you make a choice, you cut off your other options. And that sometimes leads you to regret, wondering if maybe there was something better out there. But I also think that sometimes we, we play the, the, the idea that this is God's will for my life. I know, know this because we want people to stop questioning our decisions. See, if I say, well, God told me to get this divorce. God told me to move. God told me to take this job. God told me that I should ask you out. Well, God told me I should say no. You know, I mean, it feels like now I'm on God's side. God's on my side. You don't want to disagree with God, do you? Or sometimes it's more subtle. It's like, well, I prayed about it. 
Okay, great. I mean, genuinely, I hope you prayed about your decisions. But that doesn't mean that your decisions are all right now. You can't just baptize your decision in God's will by saying, I prayed about it. In fact, it can almost be manipulative. Saying it can almost be used sometimes to manipulate to get what you want. I, I don't know exactly where to say this, so let me just say it here. No matter how much you prayed, no, no matter what, what great peace you feel in your life, no matter how sure you that God told you something, God does not lead people to do things that contradict what he teaches in the Bible. Never. So God has a plan for your life, but he did not tell you that you've got to somehow find it and figure it all out beforehand. You can't do that. Yeah, sometimes you can look in the rearview mirror and see God's will. Sometimes see how it played out in the past, but God does not show you the future. So yes, he has a plan, but no, you're not going to be able to figure it all out ahead of time. He never intended you to. If he had, he would have just shown it to you. He's not trying to hide it. So does God... Help us when we make decisions then? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does. I'm pretty sure that God guides us in our decisions. But there's a big difference between saying God guides us in our whole life, including our decisions, and saying, well, God shows me his plan. God has a plan and I've got to figure it out. But I do think God guides us in our decisions. and And I think he does it in three ways. He does it through the Bible He does it through the counsel of wise people, and he does it through prayer. Now, you're by thinking Bible. Didn't we just say you can't just open a verse like a magic eight ball? Right. That's not how the Bible should be used. But but look what he says in, look what Paul says in, in, in Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your mind be renewed by God's word, the scriptures. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when we fill our mind with scriptures, when we fill our mind with God's truth, and we gain God's heart and God's wisdom, and it puts us on the right track to figuring out his will in all kinds of areas of our life. Wise counsel. The Proverbs are full of verses that tell us that that only a fool kind of makes decisions on their own. A a wise person brings in others, gets others' advice and others' opinion and others' perspective. Not just anybody, though. Wise people, people that are godly, people that you look up to, people that have a good track record. Ask their input. And and then prayer. James 1.5 tells us, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. Ask God for wisdom. Now, ask God to move to Minnesota. Should you move to Minnesota and take that job? No. Ask God if if he will show you what school you should go to. Well, I don't think that's usually the way God works, right? But maybe you ask God for wisdom. Ask God for right motives. God, I pray that you would expose any selfish motives, any greedy motives, any, any... Poor motives. 
God, I pray for an open heart that I would listen well to you and others. God, I pray for courage to do the right thing even if it's hard because sometimes God's will is hard to do. No, God doesn't show us the future. Instead, he tells us how to live in the midst of not knowing the future. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Don't worry about tomorrow's decisions. Don't worry about where you head tomorrow. Don't worry about what's coming next. You don't know the future. You can't know the future. What you do is you trust God with the future, and you get busy about seeking his kingdom, seeking his will. That's what God's called us to do. Trust him with our future and live in confidence that he's the one who knows it. Not us, but him. Would you stand and let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great Sunday.